Welcome to the Niche Podcast, your weekly rundown of the biotech, pharma, clinical research, and life science industries. I'm your host, Dr. Noah Goodson. This week, I go on vacation and give you a special bonus interview with Sam Searcy, founder and CEO of Clinistart and former North Carolina state senator. views expressed on the niche podcast are those of the host and guests. They do not necessarily reflect the opinions of any organizations or companies with which they are affiliated. Sam Searcy is a business leader, innovator, entrepreneur, and former North Carolina state senator. His fascinating career in business and politics has made him a leader in the North Carolina region. I had the honor to sit down and speak with him. This episode's a bit different of an interview. Rather than focusing on the important work in clinical research, uh, we talk about social ecosystems and how positive interactions between business, politics, and education can make people's lives better. Sam, thanks so much for coming on the Niche Podcast today. Thank you, Noah. Glad to be here. I'm, I'm excited to talk to you a little bit about your career and what you've done, but you know, you've got an interesting career that sort of spans clinical research, um, as well as being an entrepreneur. And then you've also worked in politics and have experience even kind of in the education space. So I'm kind of excited to look at some of the ways that the different areas of uh, this industry that you've touched on. But I'd like to start just kind of asking, how did you start your career in clinical research? Because I I think you went to law school um, after your undergrad. That's right, I did. Uh, Thank you for having me again. So I went to the University of Tulsa College of Law out in Oklahoma, and then I studied part of the time over at Busiris Law School in Hamburg, Germany. Mm. So at a, at a, well, I would have been what, 23, 24, pretty young age. I had a a real interest in international law, Uh, not only international human rights, but also international commercial transactions, which was actually one of my focuses. Uh, graduated law school, moved back home, did a couple jobs, and then ended up here in the Research Triangle area, ended up in Chapel Hill in 2006. Um, Worked a couple of other jobs that were not really career related. When I finally landed in the uh, clinical research industry, I got a position in in the clinical contracts department at PRA, uh, it used to be PRA. They just got uh, acquired by, by Icon. That's For right. For a mere Me- a mere eight point five billion dollars. So. Mega deal. One of the mega mergers of twenty twenty one. One of the many. Uh, yeah, and uh, loved working at at PRA. We had a very large client, um, Gilead Sciences, based out of uh, Foster City, California. They were getting ready to put their revolutionary uh, hepatitis C drug into a global phase three. It was a huge global phase three. Uh, and I had the opportunity with that to relocate to just outside London, uh, with my family. So at that time I had two young children. Our son was six years old. Our daughter was two and a half. Uh, and I was there for two and a half years, moved back. Uh, and our son actually had a British accent when he came back. <laughs> little little Britishisms he would he would say now and then. Um, I moved on from PRA and went over to Quintiles, where I headed yep. up the fair market value program globally. That was really an amazing experience, a great job. Got to do a lot of global travel 
mm-hmm. I was training, uh, what do we have back then? 26,000 employees globally, yeah. uh, making sure everybody knew uh, what was a proper payment to a site uh, once uh, certain milestones were hit on clinical trials. Mm-hmm. We wanted to make sure we weren't uh, sort of uh, going askew of any anti-bribery, anti-corruption laws. So that's, that was really what that job was about. So can, can I pause there? Can I pause there real quick and just ask? So, so you, you were not, you were not just assessing like how much do we pay for services and sort of stuff. You were also assessing what is considered an appropriate level of payment that encourages people to participate in our networks or in our clinical trials while not constituting in each given country, something that's sort of inappropriate payments. Is that, or each kind of context? I think that's fair. Uh, There were certain countries that obviously are higher on the corruption index that we had to watch more closely. Um, So that was a really wonderful, challenging uh, uh, role. uh, And I really enjoyed it. Gained a lot of valuable experience uh, building out that program and and, uh, training people across the world. Uh, In between leaving PRA and starting at Quintiles, I had... uh, on the side, started a company with a few friends called Clintrax Global, uh, which uh, was a company that handled investigator contracts and budgets and eventually site payments. That company was acquired in 2016 by WCG. Uh, and after that, um, I took a break for a little while, uh, had a four year non compete. That non compete ended in March of 2020 and enter Clinistart. So we started uh, a, a similar March of 2020. What a great time to start. March of 2020, literally at the birth of the pandemic. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah. So uh, we decided with Clinistart, though, even though we do very similar things, we have a much larger focus on technology. So we're a tech enabled services company now. And uh, yeah, based right here in Raleigh and things are going well. Very, very cool. So, but between those two, so this is, I think, where things get like really interesting. You're, so you were, I guess you were on a non-compete uh, and hopefully, mm-hmm. uh, hopefully things went for you in such a way that you made enough money that this wasn't a problem for you off your sale or at least something. Um, so you decided at that point, you said like, well, I should, I should definitely get into politics. Well, no, I mean, it was, it was interesting. So uh, I, I, I can remember the moment distinctly. I was actually in Phoenix, Arizona. And I clicked on the TV and it was North Carolina and House Bill 2 had just passed. And I was like, what is this? And, and I turn up the volume and I'm listening you know, to HB2 and, and all this rhetoric and uh, all of the talking heads. And I thought, this is really bizarre. Seems very unnecessary for a state legislature to pass a law like this and then for the governor to sign it. Mm-hmm. Um, and it seemed petty. Uh-huh. And I just what, I what was not, what was House Bill two again? Could you remind me? That was the bath so called oh, bathroom the, bill. Th- yeah, yeah, there yeah. was a lot of uh, kind of. Uh, so it was about that. It was passed by the House, Senate, and signed by the governor within what twelve hours. It was something ridiculous, um, and we really were in a world of hurt as a state. You may remember. Yeah. Concerts were canceling. Um, certain states wouldn't allow their state employees to travel through North Carolina or stay here. I mean, it, the economic impact, I'm not sure we can quantify. And that's when I said, okay, this is, I've got to get off the sidelines. I've got to at least try to run for office and see if I can get in there and at least be uh, uh, consistent and moderate and, uh, you know, 
support and help pass laws that do not hurt the business community and also that don't discriminate against the people of North Carolina. It's to, to codify discrimination into laws is really uh, unbelievable. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's really cool. I think that's an interesting way that you, you got in, involved there. Did you, had you previously considered politics or and it was sort of like in the back of your mind and this has just pushed you over the edge or you, it was just like one of those, this is, this is ridiculous. We're, we're discriminating against a group of people and we're hurting business at the same time. Like, what are we even doing here? Yeah, that's really what happened. And then I, uh, uh came back from Arizona, met with some party leaders uh, to talk about, you know, what would this look like if I if I decided to do this, and we came up with a plan, and and, and it happened, and That's I won. Cool. <laughs> I mean, it's yeah. So amazing. then you were a state a state senator, state uh, senator of right. North Carolina. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm curious about your perspective. So you know, the RTP area in general in North Carolina is um, really in many ways booming for business, um, but we also have really we have a really complicated purple state. Uh, we have very, and this is for all of you, the rest of you listeners who are international or uh, not in North Carolina, this might be very like local conversation, but we both live in North Carolina. So this is, this is relevant to us, but maybe you could talk in more broad terms about the way that, that business and politics are intertwined and how you see them either kind of, how do you see those two being able to work together in ways that aren't just sort of business using politics, politics to exploit for capital gains, but actually for the good of the whole community. Like what's, do you have like vision for how those, those are, um, can be integrated effectively for a community? Sure. Maybe I should back up and just talk a little bit about how government community and everyone came together, uh, to make something happen. And I mean, let's just talk about the research triangle park. So the RTP is the largest office park in the United States. It was founded back in 1959 under sort of the uh, leadership of Governor Luther Hodges. So he saw a need to help get North Carolina from being 47th out of 48 in per capita income and help transition our economy from textiles, furniture and, and tobacco into something more high tech something with better paying jobs, something with, with uh, more of a, of a bright future that, that he saw. So uh, yeah, and so later w- became the, the birth or, or whatever you wanna call it of the Research Triangle Park. And, and it's called the Triangle, of course, because you've got UNC, Duke, Chapel Hill, uh, uh, oh no, UNC, Chapel Hill, Duke, and NC State University, that's right. Creating the three points of the Triangle. Uh, I think that it's important now that uh, the RTP does a very good job of uh, engaging and indeed the only university in the RTP is uh, North Carolina Central. So really we have four great universities and what, look what a success it's been. I mean, we have attracted top tier talent from around the world. We've developed top tier technology right here and uh, you know, forgetting the 80s and the 90s when when things really boomed, I really think the Research Triangle area, the whole RTP area is having a moment right now. I mean, Apple, Google, uh, Fujifilm, Diasynth, which is right here in Holly Springs, and then Amgen yesterday announced here in Holly Springs. I mean, billions of dollars of investment in technology. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if 
I, I looked at that Fujifilm announcement back before they picked a space and kind of thought, hey, I think they might be coming here. I might have, I might, I might have even said it's one of the top three contenders. I think I did. <laughs> so I, yeah. I at least knew we would be on the map for that because I already had some foothold here. But that's a $2 billion leading CMDO facility in the world that is going to be huge, I think, in terms of that industry. I mean, outside of kind of Korea and some of the development that's happening there. It's, it's one of the larger ones. And then, yeah, just yesterday, Amgen, uh, as of recording this just yesterday, Amgen announced a $550 million facility. I think they're building mm-hmm. in the same area. Right. Um, we have tons of other leaders here. So there's, there's definitely a diversified range. And of course there are as well, major clinical research organizations, uh, headquartered out of here. Um, so yeah, it's, it's definitely a, a fascinating sort of economically diverse biotech and biotech <laughs> region. <laughs> exactly. And, and what's even more fascinating is kind of sitting back and watching North Carolina. We're number one right now in biomanufacturing. And that's uh, Amgen, uh, Fujifilm Diasynth, and Sequoris, I believe is how it's pronounced. So all three of those companies are going to be based right here in Holly Springs. They're in the same a park it's called friendship innovation park it's like boom 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 in a row like ducks so to think of i mean that's almost what four billion dollars of investment in the town of holly springs it's crazy uh, yeah it's and, and for those of you who are listening from other ways holly springs is a one of the suburbs of raleigh it's a little bit south of the city but it's it's within the kind of raleigh uh, durham chapel hill region um yep so I think with these kind of complicated systems of economics, um, there are there's there's a need there's a multifaceted sort of ecosystem, and I tend to slide towards this sort of philosophy that it is the system that drives the in- individual contributor. So you you always have rare examples of some like genius who does something. But most people who are able to say, start successful businesses in clinical research do so because there are larger ecosystems around them that facilitate the, like the entrepreneurial work that you've done. Um, and that happens because these large systems are at play. And I think one of those, the pieces to that large system is politics. One of them is obviously the major international business development. But the other one is that encourages both of those to work well is education. And specifically in this industry, it is an industry that relies on a broadly educated workforce because you need you need manufacturing level people who have specific sort of technical skills in laboratory procedures, all the way up to sort of high level PhDs who are leading the charge on the, the latest science. Um, you're involved in education in this region and you have been how did that kind of involvement start and then what have you been seeing kind of happen with uh, education in north carolina and in the rtp area gosh that's a huge question so a couple ways so i went to appalachian state undergrad um, and i have stayed very active with the university and i sit on the board of visitors for app state Uh, so i'm very connected with what's happening happening there from an education perspective especially as it relates to the legislature. Uh, I am also a board member for the North Carolina State Community College Board System. So North Carolina has the third largest community college system in the United States. We have 58 campuses and recently eight out of the top 10 community colleges in the United States of America are all based here in North Carolina. 
How wonderful is that? I mean, so we have a great university system. We have a great community college system. And then we have the K-12 platform to build off of. So I think that, uh, you know, through the years, we've made it a focus to make sure we're investing in K-12 education. Many people have referred to the North, University of North Carolina system as the crown jewel of North Carolina from an economic development perspective. I would argue that's really the community college system as well. It's both. Uh, because a lot of these biomanufacturing jobs we just talked about are going to require the community colleges really cranking out qualified, uh, trained uh, workforces. So uh, we have a great setup here. Yeah, and and those are those are, and I think when we when we look at like economic, like elevating communities economically, uh, those systems are are really key to doing that. Because of course, you know, if if Apple comes here, they're going to hire whatever top tech people from anywhere in the world they want. And some of them will be from North Carolina and it'll be great. And some of them will come here and they'll raise their kids here and pay taxes and all that kind of stuff. And it will be great. Um, but when you look at other facilities like uh, Fujifilm's facility, they're really a manufacturing facility, which means they need, they, there are going to be some really, you know, development jobs, but there's a lot of jobs that are really amazing, high quality work that you don't need a PhD for, and you probably don't even need a bachelor's. You need a technical skills and how to perform this type of chemistry or perform these analyses, do this, this lab work. And so I, I do think that that's, that ecosystem is really critical to maintaining the attractiveness to these large businesses, which are then what sort of elevate the broader community and give them uh, economic access. Absolutely. And again, Wake Tech, uh, which is a community college based right here in Wake County, is a great example of turning out graduates uh, who can go right into Amgen or Fujifilm or wherever uh, into a very high paying uh, career. I mean, the, the, the average salary at Amgen announced yesterday is 120000 a year. Uh, that, that's pretty good for two, two years out of high school. I mean. <laughs> so I'm curious about, you know, a lot of times in my experience, people in at least the clinical research industry and the biotech kind of industry engage with government. They engage with uh, politics as something to really sort of be managed as risk mitigation, right? It's, Hey, we need to understand what the regulations are. We need to make sure that we actually follow them. And then we need to be like sort of the very high level farmers are obviously doing lobbying and other uh, mechanisms, but it seems like you've taken a very different tact in that you've you've chosen to be very hands-on involved in politics, running for achieving office and trying to implement change. Can you talk a little bit about how how do you think uh, we as an industry can be engaging in politics in ways that aren't just, hey, this is required regulation that we need to sort of advocate against or for or work around? Well, I, th there's so much. I mean, tax policies, uh, you know, with biomanufacturing, a huge issue is how do you fund the very expensive wastewater treatment facilities that have to be built with many of these plants? I think government can help step in there and offset the costs. Uh, or you could just look at a local example like here in Holly Springs, local municipal town government decided 10 years ago they wanted to diversify the town's tax base to 70% residential, 30% commercial. And, 
and what came out of that 30% idea was the friendship innovation part that is now home to over $4 billion of biomanufacturing facilities. So just little ideas that start in little towns. I mean, 10 years ago, I mean, Holly Springs was probably what, 20,000 people. Uh, and now it's like pharma town. Yeah. It's so you can do big things. Huh? That's really interesting. Um, how much from your experience on the other side, how much are these sort of deals that attract these major players, these billion dollar companies, billion dollar facilities? Um, how much are those deals, especially when they're being drawn in from the outside, are those also negotiated at the state political level um, with with legislators and, and with the governor to say, OK, we'll give you these tax incentives in exchange for this new tax base. Um, how much is that is, is, is right. really politics driven and how much of it is these companies are just saying, well, we'll go here. Well, so we have the economic development partnership of North Carolina, which is headed by Chris Chung, who has done an amazing job from an economic development perspective. And they run the program called JDIG, which are the economic incentives you read about in the paper or hear about uh, on the news. Uh, I mean, that's a part, sure. Governor Cooper has been very active uh, in helping recruit key industry, but that there's a history of that in North Carolina. Our governors have always taken a, a leadership role there, but also the leadership roles uh, within the chambers, whether it's the Senate or the House, uh, can have an impact. Not passing controversial laws also helps <laughs> to attract business. And we have so much going for us here. And I will tell you, we do focus a lot on taxes and we do have a very favorable tax climate here for business, but that's not the whole decision. Uh, when companies are looking at relocation, for example, yesterday I was reading about Amgen. Why did they choose us over Houston, even though Houston was gonna give them 110 million, we gave them 22 million. They chose here because we have a low probability of natural disasters. We had really strong public schools. We had great weather. Uh, traffic, things were accessible. I mean, so it's never any one thing when a company's making that decision. It's, it's a holistic look uh, at the economy and at the region and, and the quality of life. Yeah. And I think that those are all things that, I mean, when you see like U.S. News and World Report comes out this year, I mean, how, I don't know how I couldn't necessarily say these rankings are valuable, but they're great when you're at the top. And <laughs> the Raleigh-Durham area was like number two this year. Number one, number, number two. two yeah. In quality of places to live. And what that means, I think for companies practically is like, it's a lot easier to attract top talent to a number one place to live in the country than it is to attract them to the number 100 place to live in the country. That's right. And I, I think that, I think people like you and I have always known that the RTP region is, is amazing. It's a great place to be. But when you have companies like Apple and Google that move in that, that are such national names and it makes national news, those become validators and people that maybe hadn't thought about the RTP before taking a second look, like maybe I should be there. Yeah. Um, I'm curious from your experience. So, you know, we're talking about these big businesses that move. Um, I see it oftentimes that like, I think the big players are like, <laughs> when I used to work in marine biology, we call them like charismatic megafauna. So like sharks, whales, you know, they look really cool. They're very dynamic. Everybody's interested in them, but they're just part of this larger ecosystem that both 
requires feeders into it and also kind of produces them around it. Like, so by, you know, having a $2 billion manufacturing facility, you also actually create a lot of economic opportunity for other supporting businesses, for supporting industries, for suppliers, producers, builders, and, and every other, every other part of that. I'm curious from your experience, you know, you've started a couple of businesses here, um, at least the one you're running right now. Do you feel like that, um, the, the economic advantage is similar to the smaller business owner, the one trying to get something off the ground and be entrepreneurial as it is to the, the largest uh, players? I do for a number of reasons. Uh, number one, we have a critical mass of talent ready to go. So it's very easy to hire people, uh, especially in life sciences or tech or, or any of those fields. Uh, number two, we have a number of prominent private equity companies based here that specialize in life sciences or tech. Uh, so that access to capital, the access to knowledge, um, it, it's truly helpful. And we have a bustling ecosystem of smaller uh, startups all throughout the triangle. And many of them go on to become big startups <laughs> and big companies. So what is the future of this region look like? And, and from, from any of these perspectives, from education, politics, business, um, what do you see the sort of next five, 10 years shaping up to be like? I think you're going to see tremendously rapid growth. Uh, I think that the announcements we're seeing here in 2021 of the major economic development wins are just the beginning. And whenever you start seeing a few, it tend, there tends to be a wave coming and I think we're going to continue to see that for the next five to 10 years, strong economic growth, a lot of cutting edge technology uh, locating here in the triangle. And, and I think that's going to help strengthen our university system, the community colleges and the local K-12. Very, very cool. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show today, Sam. Uh, it's been a pleasure to kind of run across the the range of issues that at least I think affect all areas, but you know, really also affect us here in the uh, Raleigh area. So it's kind of fun to talk talk very local with you. Yeah, it was. It's good. Thank you, Noah. Thanks for joining me on the Niche Podcast, your weekly summary of the top news in the biotech, pharma, clinical research, and life science industries. You can learn more at thenichepod.com or find us on your favorite podcast app. Like, comment, subscribe, and most of all, share with your friends. If you like what you hear, please rate and review. It really helps us. Once again, I'm Dr. Noah Goodson, and I'll see you next week.